Now, I know uh, for some of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, good morning, church. And I know that for most of us, we have some types of fears of failure in life. And despite our many fears, uh, I want to tell you that fear of failure is a reality. And what I mean by that is, is that it is actually more common, it's a universal experience in life to experience failure more often than success. And uh, I know that because I was reading this book uh, in called, called Break Open the Sky by Steve Bauman, and he cites how 75% of venture capitalist startups fail within the first six months. If you're hiring somebody or, or if you're maybe applying for a new job, 81% of people who are newly hired don't work out. 99% of new patents, that means like if you invent something cool and you get, you get it patented, never earns a penny, 99%. 95% of new products introduced in a, in a given year fail. Now, for those of you who are into, into business and stuff like that, probably more relatable for us, 88% of New Year's resolutions fail. And of course, in their research, 100% of all human bodies fail. And so there's a reality of regularly experiencing defeats in our life that can be a little bit daunting, a little bit despairing, a little bit paralyzing. And I wonder if you realize that following Jesus can feel like that at times. That occasionally we hear these stories, maybe at church, of overcoming sin and suffering, of reconciled marriages, of healing diseases or uh, addictions in our lives. But the daily reality for many of us is that more often than not, we fall flat on our face to experience the flaws and the fragility and the failures of life. And even if you experience some victories at times, ultimately, we all lose because we all die. And so following Jesus, when you think about life in those terms, it's a little bit discouraging. It's like, what's the point if life is just struggle and then you die? But this morning, I want us to consider a different perspective. What if we were to fast forward to the end of your story? And how would knowing that there's ultimate victory in Christ change how we perceive and even respond to the difficulties and the disappointments and even death in this life? And so if you have a Bible, you want to turn in it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you are new here, there's a Bible underneath your chair, underneath every other chair. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Take it home. That's what they're there for. They're the same Bibles that we give away for free in the lobby. If you don't like to read, no problem. We'll put the verses on the big screen. But we're in this series called Clear. This whole idea of learning in a world of confusion and conflict to see our lives through the countercultural lens of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul, he writes to this cool, hip, urban church in the city of Corinth to remind them, instead of being blinded by the values of this world, to see clearly through your identity in Christ, that as you are loved and forgiven and transformed through the cross, that he guides us and grows us in holiness and unity together that is distinct from the world. And then he shows us how to practically apply that to areas like sin and conflict and sex and relationships and controversies and ministry. And today, Paul's going to confront this discouragement that people might have about life if our only fate 
is being defeated by death. And how our victory in Christ not only gives us hope for tomorrow, but encouragement right here today. And so if you'll read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to pick up from verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. <coughs> Excuse me, let's stop right there for a minute. So what's happening is at the end of history, at the fulfillment of eternity, King Jesus returns and he ushers in his eternal kingdom for everyone who has placed their trust and their life in, his, in Jesus' hands. We get to enjoy that forever. And here we have in verse 50, this current state that we're in, our current flesh and blood is incompatible with his kingdom. Because think about it this way, God is holy, but we're unholy. His kingdom is eternal, but we are mortal. And so the perishable cannot persist and coexist with that which is imperishable. Think about it this way. If you were to cook tonight and you decide to saute a nice raw fish in a stainless steel bowl, and then you set it out, left it on your counter, and then you went on vacation for two weeks. When you return, the bowl is fine. That stainless steel bowl, you just wash it off, and it's in the same condition. But the fish, not so great. It's stinky, it's spoiled, it's decaying and rotten. But that doesn't make sense to me. Why don't they both last if you put, when you put them together? Because they're entirely different in substance and permanence. And so the same is true with our current corruptible flesh, our bodies, and the eternal kingdom of God. It's like putting in a decaying fish in a stainless environment. It's still going to rot. It's still not going to last. And so how do we experience the kingdom of God? Verse 51, Paul explains a mystery that was once hidden, now revealed through Jesus that not all who believe and receive Jesus will sleep. What does that mean? That You're not going to take a nap? No more people falling asleep during the sermon? I see you this morning. Uh, no, that's just how the Bible describes uh, Christians when they die. In other words, like that you're not permanently gone, your body's just taking a nap, and that while your soul is in perfect joy in the presence of Christ until the two of them are reunited at the resurrection. And so what Paul is saying here is that uh, there will still be some Christians who are living at the time of Jesus' return. But that's not the mystery. The mystery is that not all die before Jesus returns, but all, the living and the dead, are changed. So you might remember when Pastor Daniel preached last time in verse 37 that our body is like a seed, that when it dies, it's like a seed that's been planted or sown. It's going to be transformed into a new form, a new plant, a new fruit that has better capacity and better qualities to it. It's the same thing, but different. Does that make sense? Verse 43, that this body was raised in power and in glory. So he's talking about this glorified form that's fit for an eternal kingdom, a life in an eternal kingdom. And then right before the passage we read this morning, 
in verses 48 and 49 that it's going to be like Jesus' resurrection body. When Jesus was raised from the dead, his body was both physical, but it also was un unlimited in supernatural ways. And so the big idea this morning is that we need to understand that both the living and the dead in Christ will be victoriously transformed into bodies in an eternal state of glory at the resurrection. It means that those who died believing in Christ, but they died already. They're not stuck forever in the same state. They don't, they don't return in the same condition that they passed away in. They're transformed into something new. Or if you somehow are still alive at the time of Jesus' return, that you just don't step into heaven as you are, you're also transformed into something different, something better. Okay, well, what does that look like? How does that work? Well, you can listen to Pastor Daniel's message last week, uh, first of all. That'll give you a lot good picture. But we see in this passage that it's not gradual. It's not like your sanctification from sin, which is a, just a fancy word for saying as God is transforming you, making you holy in this life. It's not a gradual process. Glorification, that receiving a glorified body, is instantaneous. We see in verse 52, when you hear that trumpet at the day of judgment announcing King Jesus' return, it says, in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, that followers of Jesus who died will be raised and instantaneously, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, are transformed into their glorified body. And then Christians who are still alive at that time when Jesus returns also will be instantaneously transformed in that moment, in a twinkling of an eye. How are we different at that point? Verse 53 says two things. One is that you're going to put on immortality. That means, the word there means without death. Very simple, right? That you receive a body that is everlasting. But I want you to consider this. What good is it if your body is everlasting if uh, you're stuck in the state that you passed away in? Like if you died out of old age or you died in a very weakened body or uh, you had dementia at that time, are you stuck forever with dementia? Or if you died crippled? It says not only do you put on immortality in verse 53, that you also put on Im the imperishable. Now, that word in the original language means without corruption, without defect, without decay. And so what that looks like is whether you are young or old here this morning, your body is in the process of wearing down and wearing out. Some of you are like, I'm 15. My body's great. But your body's, whether you are 15 or 50, your body's starting to wear down and wear out you, from the moment that you were born. And so, you know, for some of you who experience back pain or achy knees or bum kidneys or a bum brain or a combination of all four, I'm looking right at you, uh, then you're transformed in a, to a permanent, pristine state that's without being subject to the deficiencies and diseases and deterioration. And that is good news. That means for followers of Jesus who've already died, whether you are really young or really old when you die. Your body's transformed. Whether your body's been in a grave for hundreds of years, whether your body was destroyed by accident or by water or by fire, we are fully restored, fully transformed into this perfect, permanent state. It also means no matter what curse that you carry in your flesh today, if you have disease, disability, depression, addiction. There's coming a day that you will no longer be debilitated by any of these temporary limitations anymore or ever again, which is such good news for recovering addicts like me. 
you'll be in a new state of glory without decay or defect. Okay, that sounds really, really good. Jesus kind of hits this reset button on our bodies permanently. But what's going to prevent us from falling into the same folly and fate as Adam and Eve? In other words, you know, experiencing and getting trapped in sin and suffering and separation from death all over again, like Adam and Eve did, because they had perfect bodies that were, not, that were meant to live forever, and they sinned, and then they lost everything. And that's where sin, suffering, and separation from God starts in this world. What if, what's going to prevent us from falling into the same pattern as them? Look at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I love reading that passage. So let's talk about death. You remember uh, a couple messages ago, we talked about in verse 26 through 28, Paul says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I want you to remember why, well, the reason why we're flashing back a little bit is because we need to remember that death is not your friend. It is not a release. It is your enemy, the Bible says. It is a curse, a consequent, a torment apart from God, from Jesus, his life, and his love forever. That's what death is. And what we see in this passage is that death has laid low everyone, every human king, as much as every pauper. Yet here in verse 54 and 55, with our resurrection and transformation into the everlasting, then there's these two Bible prophecies that get fulfilled. He's citing Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, that death is swallowed up, death is devoured and defeated forever in the victory of the resurrection power of Christ. And then he also cites Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, written hundreds of years earlier. And the picture there is that death is like a scorpion, vicious, nasty, but it's kind of a little bugger that you could just step on. And what it's, what it's deadly for is its stinger. But now its stinger, its victory, its ability to, ability to inflict suffering has been ripped out. And instead, we get to experience the kingdom of God described in Revelation 21, where, there's, where Jesus comes and wipes away every tear, where there's no more death, there's no more mourning, there's no more tears, there's no more pain. And so what that looks like for us is it's not just that we won't get sick anymore. It's not just that I won't get run down or break down with age. It's not just that potentially I'll never die because I have a body that could la that's enduring, as long as I don't do something overly stupid, like jump out of a second-story window or, or jump into a volcano, like some uh, people have tried in this congregation. In the resurrection of Christ, it's not that you just potentially cannot die, but that you can't. You really cannot. That there's a coming a time when death is defeated and no more. And it's not just suffering and death that are overcome. Look at verse 56. This scorpion, death, its stinger, is the deadly venom of sin. That's what the poison is. And it only has power by turning us against a holy God, by turning us from his holy standards and laws. 
So that's where it gets its power. But in verse 57, it tells us that we thank God because through Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that he's trading our sinfulness for his righteousness. He's trading our death for his life. He is cutting off the stinger of sin. He is crushing the scorpion of death so that we are no longer victims of their power, but victors victoriously over their sin, over our sin, and the fallout forever. And so I want you to understand our resurrection and our transformation is not just God pushing the reset button, reset back to original factory settings. It's not the same as Adam and Eve. He's putting an end to our enslavement and our oppression of a broken world's pain. He is fulfilling that freedom that was promised in Christ forever. And so in the resurrection of Christ, we receive ultimate victory over sin, suffering, and separation from God in death forever. Let's pull up the next slide. And knowing that, if you know that you have ultimate victory over sin, suffering, and separation from God, how does that change how we face those things? Knowing that Jesus defeats death, how does that change how you face sin, suffering, and even death today? You see, if you've ever felt discouraged or defeated by the sins in your life, by the circumstances of your life, the first thing you need to know is that Jesus can and does hold us and heal us, forgive us, and free us even in this life, he can do that. And he does do that. <coughs> Excuse me. But even when you and I experience setbacks, sin, or seeming defeat in the face of death, our hope and our promise, if we place our faith and our trust in our future in Jesus' resurrection, is that you and I will ultimately rise to victorious life in the life to come. That it's not partially or temporary, fully and finally, outrageously better, lasting forever. And that is good news for us. I think about it this way. I asked permission for uh, this person's mother to share this story. Uh, some of you know my friend, Eric Chen. He grew up in our church. But around uh, 2007, he was uh, diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of cancer. And so uh, I was a young pastor at that time, youngish, and uh, we'd go and visit him regularly uh, in his home, and we would just hang out in his room. We would, uh, you know, read manga, comic books together, um, talk about, I uh, watched basketball games because it was right around the NBA uh, playoffs, talk girls, uh, at the time I was dating Melissa, um, talk about God, pray together. And during that time, over those couple months, even though he was very sick, and even though he was one of those guys that kind of grew up in church that, you know, he kind of enjoyed church, kind of believed, but he was, he's kind of too cool for school, so not really into his faith. But there was a noticeable change. In those two months, uh, I noticed that we started talking more about Jesus. We started doing things like confessing and repenting of our very similar sins together. We had similar struggles in areas of lust and addiction. I noticed that instead of being angry at God, he was starting to surrender his life more towards Jesus. And in the picture up on the big screen, I had the privilege of baptizing my friend on Mother's Day, 2007, at his home. It was just a week after his 27th birthday. Now, cynical people sitting here today might say, well, of course he's going to respond that way, give his life to Jesus. 
You know, he has nothing to lose. He has everything to gain. He's dying. This is probably it's like a deathbed confessional, right? And there's some truth to that. But I think you and I forget sometimes that we're all in the same boat as him. That in the dividing line between sinless and sinful, between imperishable and perishable, Jesus is on one side and the rest of us are on the other side. They, we are all desperately in need of a Savior because we are all dying and under a death sentence. And I think I will never forget one of his, the last things that he said to me that has always stuck with me to this day. When I was talking with him in his home, Josh, I think I'm ready to go. I was like, what are you talking about? Don't give up. You need to keep fighting. And his literal words to me were, I don't want to die, dummy. <laughs> but if all that we've been talking about is true, then I'm ready to be done with sin, to enjoy God, to renew, have a renewed body <laughs> so that I get to school you in basketball all day, every day, forever. On July 25th, if I remember correctly, I think Matt Tang called me. Was it you that gave me that call that night? That uh, Eric had passed into glory. Fortunately, I was with my future wife, Melissa. When I got the call, I couldn't say a word. I just put my head in Melissa's lap and wept. And the week later, I performed my first funeral as a pastor. And it wasn't for a stranger. It's for my friend, for a beloved brother. But because of the resurrection in Christ, sin, suffering, separation from God do not get the last word. Death is our enemy. But it's temporary. And Jesus is our victory. That's great news. That's great. That's wonderful for that to happen for us someday. But what about today? How does Jesus, his word and his resurrection affect us now? One last verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers... Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul starts off this last verse of this passage with the word therefore. So those of you who are in school or English literature majors, you know that he's drawing a conclusion, an application with implications for us today. Therefore, in light of of death being defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. Be steadfast, immovable. The word there means to stand firm in the hope, plant your feet in, in Jesus and in the gospel instead of being shifted with the values and the views of the world around you. Because that is exactly, if you remember, what the Corinthians struggle with. This cool, young, hip, urban church buying into a lot of the culture around them. Instead, plant your feet and stand firm in the hope of Jesus and the gospel. And we understand what that feels like with the Corinthians because there's times you and I, we get so beaten down by our sins, by our suffering, by death that we see in our lives. 
We've lost too many battles to temptations and addictions. We've lost our health or a loved one. We've suffered too many disappointments or defeats. And so we begin to buy into some of the world's lies and values. Well, Jesus, you're not helping me. You're not there for me. You're not fixing my life right now. So I'm not going to stand firm and be steadfast. I'm going to stop praising you, God. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop sharing my life with God's people. I'm going to stop trusting God's word. I'm going to stop turning to God in prayer. But if Jesus is risen and death is defeated, then our struggles and suffering now are not the end of the story. And so we can stand firm in our faith, knowing that Jesus is faithful. His resurrection is the promise and the guarantee of our future. Well, how do I do that? How do I stand firm? Look at this last verse. It's not just trusting Jesus and then sitting tight till I die, waiting for a new resurrection body. Instead, Paul says, always be abounding in the work of the Lord. You see that? It's not something passive, it's proactive. It's this ongoing, the word there means overflowing in serving Jesus with our lives and bringing him glory. Because our victory in the resurrection of Christ tomorrow means that we need to stand firm in trusting and living for and laboring for Jesus today. And I know that's really hard sometimes because many of us, we have scars We're scarred by our sin and suffering and separation. And so we either get bitter with God or we get selfish with life. Why should I live for Jesus when my time has run out, when my hope has run out? And Paul would respond to you, because death is defeated. Your labor for Christ is not in vain. It's not a waste. It's not meaningless. Because you have a future beyond death, on top of the free gift of salvation that you receive by faith in Christ, your labor here on earth is storing up treasure for you in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, verse 19 through 21. So no matter how much you've suffered or lost in this life, if you're living for Jesus, serving Jesus, it's not in vain. The resurrection is the promise of a future and a hope. Some of you know uh, Sister Rhonda Young. Back in, uh, I want to say 2013, she had a car accident. And in her car accident, she fractured both of her arms, holding onto her steering wheel. And the reason why doctors discovered was because her bones, her arms were riddled with cancer. And they had spread from the primary spot, stage four cancer in her lungs. I visited her in the hospital and the prognosis was bad. The doctor said, you don't have long to live. You better get your affairs in order. And so that's what most people would do, right? You get practical, settle your affairs and your finance and make sure your family's taken care of. You get angry with God for what's happened in your life. Or we get self-focused. I'm just going to focus on my loved ones. Or I want to make sure I get all, squeeze in as many vacations as I can. I want to enjoy as much as my, of my remaining time as I can not Rhonda. Instead, she planted her feet and she felt even more determined to invest her life in a different direction, in a very different kingdom. 
And so she continued serving at our Shining Stars Friday night children's ministry. She was committed to teaching the gospel regularly, especially to young ones, spending time with kids in her own small group. Even though she would loved her husband and her three children, she loved her little small group of kids at church almost as much. And she wanted to spend time with them so that they would know that they are loved by her, but most of all that they are loved by Jesus. And I would surmise that because she's so faithful, not that there's a correlation between serving God and then getting something from God, but I wonder if, you know, when the doctors said that you don't have much time left, if because she was so committed to God's kingdom, God didn't stretch out her years. Because she got to spend a few extra more years of serving the Lord, even up through the last months of her life. Sunday morning, April 2nd, 2017, Rhonda also quietly passed into glory. And as we as a church gathered to mourn and celebrate together, I listened to many adults sharing about her impact on their lives. But I think I was most moved when Julian's little brother, I can't remember how old he was at the time, he was just a little kid, he came up and when he shared how much Auntie Rhonda meant to him. You see, Rhonda has stored up a lot of lasting treasure in heaven through little ones like him who gave their lives to Jesus. Rhonda receives honor from young and old for her character and her faith, and now she is blessed and pain-free in the presence of God, enjoying his delight for her as she delights in him. And she did not waste her life None of her labor for the Lord was in vain because death is defeated in the resurrection of Christ. And so we're going to see her again. And so I want you to consider when you meet Jesus face to face, will you have lived faithfully or will you have wasted your life? Because of the resurrection how do you need to stand firm in living for Jesus and laboring for Jesus? And I'm not just talking about ministry in a church. Paul talks about in, earlier in this letter, chapter 10, verse 31, that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so are you laboring for the Lord? Are you honoring Jesus and the gospel in your marriage, in how you raise your kids, in how you do your job, in how you go to school, having integrity with your time or your money, in how you treat other people. Is Jesus glorified? Are you laboring for the Lord? Are you serving him and bringing him glory? Because it all matters. None of it is wasted if it's for the Lord. Because death is not the end. And there's eternal glory and eternal reward in the presence of God forever. We need to be clear about our victory in the resurrection of Jesus. We remember those who've gone ahead of us and who are gone for now, but not forever. And we need to remember our time is finite and it matters that we're not just living for ourselves, but living for Jesus. Don't waste your life. I was reading this article um, by Bronnie Ware who uh, for many years worked in palliative care. If you don't know what that is, that's like uh, taking care of people at their end stages of life. 
And uh, they write, my patients were those who had gone home to die. Some incredibly special times were shared. I was with them for the last three to 12 weeks of their lives. And then when questioned about any of the regrets they had or anything they do differently, there's some common themes that surfaced again and again. And here are the five most common regrets of the people who are dying. Number one, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not try to live the expectations others have for me. That was the most common regret amongst most people. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And they write, this came from every single male patient that I nursed. Every man that was dying, that was their number one regret. I wish I hadn't spent so much time working instead of spending time with loved ones, instead of spending time with my kids. Women talked about it too, but mostly men, every man mentioned that. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish that I let myself be happier. And I want to present to you one other possibility. In light of the resurrection of Christ, I hope that you will not come to the end of your life and then step into glory face to face with Jesus and have your biggest regret be that I didn't live for you, Jesus. I lived for myself. I lived for my pleasure, my benefit. Or I only lived to make my family better and my family happy. But instead, that I lived for you, Jesus. That I put you on the throne and the altar of my life and I glorified you with my life. I didn't always get it right. But again and again, I want to live for you and put you first. There's going to be days that you're discouraged by the defeats in your life, from the sting of sin and suffering and separation of death. But remember, in the resurrection of Jesus is the promise of resurrection and transformation and victory for us forever. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's going to raise all of us too if we place our trust and our life in his hands as our Savior and Lord and live for him. His victorious resurrection gives us hope for tomorrow that there's something outrageously better to come. And his victorious resurrection gives us courage for today to live for his glory, to live for his kingdom because we have a future. And what we do and how we live now matters in eternity. So I want to challenge you. What needs to change for you today? How will you live and how will you live differently in light of your resurrection and victory in Christ? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, as we take a quiet moment to connect with you, we know that you've been speaking to us. I know that you've been speaking to me about how my life must change, must be different in light of your resurrection, in light of our resurrection. Thank you that you're not a God who is concerned about making us perform the right way or, or do the right thing and, and be better at what we're supposed to do. We recognize that we are only able to change by your grace your power, your mercy in our lives. And so as we think about the future, we 
take our eyes off of the defeats of today and recognize that our ultimate victory is coming. We have confidence. We have assurance in your promises. And we trust the evidence given to us by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we have a better tomorrow too. Would your Holy Spirit examine our hearts, my heart? Show us areas where we need to live in light of Jesus' resurrection for us. Help us to live for Jesus, labor for Jesus. Would you help us to bring those issues before you this morning? And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.